Our scripture today is should seem familiar to all of you because it's the same scripture that we had last week. So you should all remember it, right? But uh, I had chosen this before I had saw what Bob had chosen last week, and lo and behold, we had the exact same scripture. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. The Word of God for the people of God. The 25-year-old woman just got done cleaning the floors. And it was a hot, humid July 4th day. And she stood up and she kind of wiped the sweat from her brow and she just kind of looked at her handiwork. And she felt good. She felt real good. She was kind of proud of herself of how clean things were. And she silently gave God thanks for her just having this job and for being able to do this work and to serve others in the way she was serving them. And just as she was kind of lost in that thought, all of a sudden, out in the streets, she started hearing a church bell ring. And she thought to herself that that was rather odd. It wasn't the time of day for a church bell to be ringing. And the way the bell was ringing, it didn't sound like a celebration, like a wedding or something. So she wasn't sure what was up. So she kind of strained out her, her dress and, and she went out the back door and then down the alley between the two houses out into the street. And she saw a crowd of people all standing around looking at the church and the bell ringing. And she found a street sweeper. And she asked that street sweeper if he knew what was up. And he looked at her and he said, well, they said John Adams just passed away. It was July 4th, 1826. And about three miles from that church was a farm called Quincy. And John Adams had laid there for a while. He was second president of the United States. And he passed away. And unbeknownst to them at the time, another person passed away almost at the same time, Thomas Jefferson. And these two individuals, well, they wrote a document called the Declaration of Independence. They were actually part of a committee of five that were charged with putting this together. Thomas Jefferson was the primary drafter. And one of the little-known facts about it is that John Adams had given to Jefferson a speech that he had made when he was chosen as a delegate. And in that speech, Adams had quoted John Locke about the rights of men. 
And so Thomas Jefferson incorporated that into the document. And after they got done with a few drafting and redrafting it, it was presented before the Continental Congress on July 2nd. And they had voted on it at that time, and John Adams later would write in his notes about how excited he was about that particular day, July 2nd. And he thought July 2nd would go down in history. But it was two days later then that they actually publicized the document once they could have a draft that was good enough to hand out. And it really wasn't until September that they all signed it. In that very famous painting that Jonathan Trumbull had, that iconic picture of all the founders standing there and John Hancock signing it in big, bold letters, that actually didn't take place not the way that painting. John Adams was quite upset with Trumbull about that painting, in fact. And it wasn't until September it was all signed, it wasn't until November that they secured the final signature and they actually sent it off to the king. But July 4th became the day when they actually read it out and produced some copies to distribute and had all the names. And in that document, it starts off, when in the course of human events... And it talks about why we had the right to declare independence. It lists a whole string of grievances against the King of England and what he has done. And it says, based on all this evidence, we have the right to declare us separate. But there's a part in the document, a part that's very well known, I'm sure, by all of us, that lays out some guiding principles for our country. And these guiding principles, they became ideals that we sought to uphold. It laid out the idea that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, this whole concept of unalienable rights, it's not given by a government. It's not given by any person. No king endowed it on us. They're saying it is given to us by our Creator, that it was given to us simply by the fact that we exist as a person, that as soon as a person is born, they have these rights. And when they use the word men, they meant men in the general sense. Language at that time, when they used the term men, it talked about all men, all of mankind, all of humans, men, women. And the founders literally did mean everybody, every single human being, regardless of race, color, culture, regardless whether they were here in America or whether they were in Europe or whether they were in Africa or whether they were in Turkey, what's now Turkey, Middle East, India, they didn't care. They meant everyone that they had this unalienable right. And it wasn't given by any government or person. It's given by God. It's an act of our creation itself. And, you know, that really makes us exceptional. It makes America exceptional. That term American exceptionalism is often, often misunderstood. By that term, it doesn't mean we do everything right. 
It doesn't mean that. What it means is we are the only country ever founded in the history of the world on this concept of unalienable rights. The only one. We are a country that has the longest serving constitutional government in the history of the world. And that in ourself makes us exceptional because there is no other country around. You know, for example, France in the 20th century alone has gone through six different constitutions. Germany went through eight. England's constitution that there currently exists and that they're currently working under, that started after World War II. We have the longest constitutional government in the history of the world. And that's part of the thing that makes us exceptional. Now, we have these lofty ideals, but we have a lengthy history of failing to live up to them. We have a lengthy history of getting it wrong and of goofing it up and of not doing what we think. You know, an interesting debate to read is amongst the founders because right off the bat, right off the bat, when they were talking about ratifying the Declaration of Independence, the idea of, hey, wait a second, what about slavery? And they, had, they knew they had a problem. They knew they had a problem. They knew it wasn't right. But at the same time, they couldn't bring themselves to step away from it. They couldn't bring themselves to step away from it. And that was just the first of many failures on our part. So these ideals are out there, and voila, we have trouble living up to them. Women being able to vote or have a voice in government. At that time, when it was, when it was passed, even people that didn't own property being able to vote because only property owners could vote. You know, an interesting little side note, in Massachusetts during this time, women could vote. If women owned property, they could vote. And then it was later, during the midst, right after the Revolutionary War, that Massachusetts, when it drafted its new constitution, took the women's vote away from them. So it's kind of interesting. We have a really lengthy history of goofing it up, of not getting it right. We even fight whole civil wars over it. We have so many problems, but through it all, through all our errors, through all our mistakes, through all the things we do wrong, we still have a constitutional government that's the longest in the history of the world, and that people, people strive to come here to be a part of. People yearn to be a part of it. And that's something. James Madison, in trying to ratify the Constitution of the United States, they put together some documents called, that have now put together in a book called the Federalist Papers. At that time, they were actually letters, newspapers. And he wrote in one of those Federalist, in one of the papers that if men were angels, no government would be necessary. And if angels were to govern, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. He knew back then we didn't have it right. And he knew back then there's a good chance in our lengthy history all the way forward 
we weren't going to always get it right, and we were going to do things wrong. And so they created this whole system of government to try to balance it out. We were created to be free. We were created. In the very beginning of creation, Adam and Eve, they were free. God made them free to work the garden, to do what they wanted, to think and to be as they wanted. They were free. It was part of their creation. And then we enslaved ourselves to sin. Sin took over. We chose not to be free. We goofed it up. We chose not to be free. And that sin consumed us. It consumed all of humankind for all of history. And if it wasn't for Christ coming in our life, it still would be there. But Christ restores us. He restored us to how we were created and that freedom that we were created. The only problem that we have is, so we have this ideal. We know that Christ says free. We have an ideal of freedom and what it means to have all these rights that God gives us and that Christ has restored to us. But we have problems getting it right. We have this exceptional Christianity. Christianity itself is a very exceptional religion. In fact, I'd say it's exceptional in all of world religions. Those in my Sunday school class know, because I bring it up a lot, that it is very unique amongst all the religions. You know what makes it unique? Makes it different than every single other world religion? Every other world religion, you have to do things. You have to do things. They have lists of things to do. Some actually have literal lists of activities and things that you have to try to do in order to be saved, in order to experience whatever they put as their ultimate. You have to achieve these. You have to do them. In, in some, you're even tested to see if you're doing well. In Christianity, there is nothing we can do to earn salvation. It is a gift of God. It's grace not works. It's grace, not works. You can go to this church every single day of the week. You can come here, not just sit here and go to the service, but you could sit here every day, be praying every day. You could do all these things, and you could not earn salvation. You could not earn eternity. Because it is literally just a gift of God to you. And all you have to do is accept it. That's it. And that makes us, that makes Christianity an exceptional religion. But you know what? We have a lengthy history of failing, don't we? You can either look as a denomination as a whole, United Methodist Church. We're in the midst of failing right now. You can look at other denominations. You can look at all the religious wars over the history and, I don't know about you, but I could just look at my own personal life. I may have an ideal of what Christ calls me to. I see it in Scripture. But how well am I at carrying it out? 
How many times do we stumble and fall while we're trying to do it and trying to achieve it? How many times do we fail to live up to what Scripture calls us to? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have a history of failing, both collectively and individually. Well, the true freedom, it's not our own ideals. Our true freedom, because it's given by God and it's part of creation, it, it, it's part of who we are at the very beginning, it's not something that we self-create. And so many of us, as we're struggling to be Christian, as we're working to obtain the true freedom and liberty that Christ offers us, what happens is we get lost in the way because we try to create the system by which it's going to be done. We try to say, okay, here's the rules. Here's how we got to do it. Our great founder, John Wesley, he had all sorts of rules. And it wasn't until a great time that he had at Altar's Gate when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, that he realized those rules were wrong. And then he realized this was truly the Lord. And so we have to give ourselves to God. It's not a thing of working. It's not a thing of struggling. It's a thing of surrendering to God. To allow the Spirit of the Lord to come into our hearts and to work through us. When you're saved in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. And it's relying on that Holy Spirit to help us, to be with us, and relying on that Spirit, on God, to direct us. As the first scripture that I read this morning said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it's a freedom not set by our ideals, not set by our mind, not set how we do things. It's the freedom that truly comes from God. That no matter our circumstances, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can truly be free. It's what made Paul, despite getting beaten, despite having oil poured on him, despite all the problems that Paul had in his life, it's what... Paul, at the end, as he's about to be executed, be able to say, I have learned in all ways to be content. It's the freedom that only God can give. That's the freedom we're called to. Now back to that woman that was scrubbing the floors. This is a photograph of her. She was 25 years old at the time. She had been born into slavery in Maryland. Her and her parents had escaped from Maryland and had made their way up to Boston. But before they made it there, her father had been shot. So her and her mother were able to make it there. And fortunately for them, Massachusetts at the time as a colony had declared that they weren't going to have slavery anymore. And so she was able to have her freedom And she was able to find employment in a house, keeping it. But you know, she knew God, and she knew Christ. And she knew she was truly free 
Despite what anybody ever said, despite her lower circumstances, she knew she was truly free. And so Maria Stewart, what happened was she decided she was going to learn and educate herself. And she went to nearby Harvard College that was training ministers at the time, and she got books and she read, and there were even a few people that helped her and educated her. And she herself became a minister. In a time when no women became ministers, she became a minister. She also became an author and a writer. And you know, I'd like to take full credit for the message I just gave you, but I can't. Because a lot of that message came from her. And it's one of her messages. And she wrote essays, and she sent them down south, and hundreds of thousands of slaves read her word, and they became saved. They learned what it meant to be free. Her messages inspired different black ministers to find the African Episcopal Methodist Church. She inspired thousands with her writings. And she knew what it meant to be free. And one of the things she always held up was the Declaration of Independence in her speeches that she gave. And she held on to the concept of unalienable rights and she said how biblical that concept was because of the freedom that we have in God and that's really bestowed upon us by the salvation that Christ offers. Maria Stewart could be free. As a woman that wasn't allowed to have any rights, as a black woman who was a lot of times barred from different areas and not even respected, even in areas where freedom was allowed and there was no slavery, she knew how to be free. And she kept her voice going. That's what freedom in Christ does for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, dear Lord, for those rights that you have bestowed upon us just in the act of creating us. And dear Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit comes upon us and give us the strength not to go our own way, but to rely on your Holy Spirit so that we can truly love you with all our heart, mind, and soul, and that we can truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen.